0: can directly give chemotherapy into the liver and give us sort of like a high dose only in the liver with minimal side effects
1: this is the james cancer-free world podcast i'm steve wortenberg and my guest is alan sung the chief of the division of surgical oncology and a specialist in liver bile duct and pancreatic cancers we'll talk about some of the advances in treating these types of cancers and we'll also talk about the James Regional Therapies Program. Welcome to the podcast, Alan. Thank you, Steve. I'm excited to be here today. We're excited to have you and learn all about this area of research and treatment and surgery, but I always like to ask my guests and learn a little about you. How did you get involved, interested, and make this your career? Well, Steve,
0: I think for most people that uh, decide on a career, you know, personal uh, impact always plays a part. For me, uh, my father was a physician. Uh, so growing up, you know, I saw him, you know, go to the hospital. But I can tell you that was the last thing I wanted to do. <laughs> However, um, uh, when I was in uh, middle school, unfortunately, my, my father uh, was diagnosed with uh, colorectal cancer. Uh, and then uh, a year later, he uh, was diagnosed with uh, With colon cancer that had spread to the liver. Unfortunately, back then, uh, there were uh, not many treatments available in terms of chemotherapy or radiation, and especially surgery for the liver. Uh, It was very high risk and not as prevalent as it is uh, today. So unfortunately, he was unable to uh, have his uh, liver tumors that had spread to uh, from his colon cancer uh, be removed, and as a result, he, he passed away from that. So that that was the main driver of why I wanted to go into medicine. I wanted to, you know, share my you know experiences uh, with people dealing with cancer and and, and help them uh, in a way that unfortunately my father uh, could not, you know, uh, be be cured of it.
1: Now I'm curious. You said your your father first. Sorry. Very sorry for your loss. Your father was a physician. And what did you learn from him in terms of the skills that you use now and and just maybe perhaps your relationship with with patients? Yeah. I think the
0: main thing, uh, he was actually, he was a radiation oncologist. So he was actually a cancer uh, a doctor. Um, one thing I learned very early on is that uh, being a doctor, whether it's a surgeon or, or a cancer doctor, mm-hmm. uh, a physician is—it's—it's a, it's a career, not—not not a job. Uh, it doesn't end, uh, you know, when the when the workday ends. You know, your patients are always uh, in need. Uh, whether it's in the hospital, it's not like they close down the hospital, you know, uh, at five o'clock p.m. and everyone goes away. You know, they are there uh, um, uh, 24/7. You know, weekends, nights, and one thing that uh, I saw that you know really fueled. You know how I practice is you know this is a this is a a calling a, a career and and a dedication uh, to the patients that you know put so much uh, uh, trust uh, in in their doctors.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to put it, and something I've I I can see in you, and that I hear from so many of the other physicians and scientists at the James. So again, um. I'm sorry, that's the way you you got interested in this, but I have a feeling your your dad will be proud of you and what you're doing. Thank you. So your specialty is liver, bile, duct, and pancreatic cancers. And usually at the James, because it's so big, uh, surgeons specialize in one cancer. So I'm curious with my lack of um, medical knowledge? What's the connection between those three types of cancers that you and others would specialize in all three?
0: Yeah. So that's a, that's a great question, Steve. I think uh, the, the technical term is uh hepatopancreatical biliary surgery. Uh, but like you mentioned, that all that means is that uh, we're involved in uh, uh, diseases or cancers of the, the liver, bile duct, and pancreas. And the reason why the surgeons tend to uh, specialize in these three organs is anatomical. Um, the liver um, uh, makes uh, bile and, and it, it has to drain uh, into the intestine to help digest food. But this, this sort of the pipe that connects the liver to the intestine uh, is called the bile duct and it runs through the pancreas. So when you have diseases or cancers of either the liver, bile duct, or pancreas, a lot of times they involve each other. And similarly, the the surgeries uh, that are involved in these three different cancers uh, or areas are also uh, sometimes one in the same. So if you have, say, like a bile duct cancer, then many times you have to also involve the the liver or the pancreas. And same thing with the the liver. If you have a liver cancer, it always, you know, usually involves the bile ducts. Uh, So they're all very interconnected anatomically by blood vessels. So uh, there's, you know, set operations where um, uh, there's, uh, that they would need to uh, usually be, you know, multiple organs. uh, These
1: three organs would be involved. Now, again, because of my my lack of knowledge of the the body, the, of the those three organs, I know roughly where they're located, and people can't see if you point, but I'll help. I'll help them understand where in the body. Are these three organs?
0: Yeah. So the the liver uh, is right under your rib cage on the right side. The liver is a, it's a vi- I mean all organs are vital, but just like the heart and lungs where it's protected by the rib cage, uh, the liver is also uh, a vital organ. So I think you know anatomically it's there's a reason why it's underneath your your the right rib cage. Um, you've heard of like, you know, uh, accidents or uh, like, you know, say like injuries to the liver. Uh, Those are, unfortunately, there's a lot of blood vessels that go to the liver. uh, So any injury can cause, you know, significant amount of bleeding. So that's why, you know, uh, we have the the rib cage, you know, protecting it. Uh, Right underneath uh, is the, uh, is the pancreas. The pancreas runs sort of like uh, through the, uh, it's uh, uh, through the middle of the the belly. And the bile duct is literally just a tube that connects the liver to the pancreas. And the, the role of all three of those is, is cleansing. Yeah. So actually all three are very different roles. Uh, for the liver, I see it, uh, I, I tell uh, uh, patients it's um, uh, the main, one of the main roles is uh, sort of detoxifying. So all the, the blood from the, you know, that you eat, you know, from food, your intestines and colon, it has to go through the liver to sort of detoxify um, but in addition, you know, it also gets rid of the waste uh, through the bile duct. So the bile duct, you know, connects it back into the intestine to get rid of the waste. The pancreas is um, is, is in the same area, but has different functions. Uh, the two main functions of the pancreas, uh, one is to create hormones, say like insulin. So it, it controls your uh, sugar levels. So uh, with those people that... And when the pancreas is not working well, they develop diseases like diabetes. Uh, and also the pancreas helps uh, digest um, uh, food. So it secretes, you know, enzymes to help digest, especially fatty foods.
1: Okay, good. So now I have a much better understanding <laughs> of those three organs, what they do. And so when, unfortunately, a patient is diagnosed with cancer in in one or more of those organs and, and they come to you in the James because you guys are one of the largest and best at, at handling that. Let's talk about some of the advances that have, that have come about in the last 10, 15, 20 years that you've personally been involved in. And one of the things I read about was this concept of minimally invasive surgeries. So give us a little background on that and, and what that means now in terms sure. of surgery. Yeah. So I'm sure
0: everybody has heard of uh, minimally invasive, laparoscopic, robotic uh, uh, procedures. I think the main focus uh, that uh, probably has transformed surgery, you know, the last 20, and 30 years is uh, making, um, uh, doing the surgery uh, through small incisions. People call it, you know, band-aid surgery. Uh, What people don't uh, usually realize is that even though it's uh, small incisions, the operation is still very similar. Um, inside. uh, But we're able to do it with a small incision. The main reason, uh, we we focus on quality. Uh, In the past, uh, if you remember, you know, you you come in for a small procedure, and then they admit you the day before, uh, and then you stay for like a week or two weeks. Now, we know that getting a patient up and about uh, as quickly as possible, um, either, you know, making them as strong as possible before, like what we call prehabilitation, but also after surgery, uh, rehabilitation is ultimately uh, very important uh, in terms of, you know, improved outcomes. Uh, we know that, you know, when you get a, a patient after surgery uh, moving around more, the less, the less risk of complications, But of course, you have this big incision, which unfortunately some big surgeries require, uh, it's much harder. You're in pain, you know, you can't move as much. So with a small incision that allows uh, the patient to recover faster, especially with cancer, at the end of the day, we want them getting back to their families right? We want them getting back to, you know, treatments because treatment doesn't end with surgery. It's usually, you know, they require chemotherapy and radiation, but you can't do that when you're, you know, stuck in the hospital or you have these, you know, um, you know, say so like, you know, complications from a large uh, a wound, like a wound infection that delays everything. So yeah. ultimately we want to get the patients back to their normal life, uh, back to their families.
1: Now I'm trying to visualize you performing minimally invasive surgery. And in talking to some other surgeons about microsurgery, they've told me about that optics, and uh, tubes with videos at the end of them are the key. So is that how you do it through these yeah. tiny holes? You're able to see inside and do what you need to do without the, the, the larger incision. Yes. Uh, so uh,
0: whether it's uh, laparoscopic or uh, now with uh, um, uh, more advances in robotic surgery, essentially it's like a, it's a camera. So one of the ports or the incisions that we make, uh, one of the ports, uh, uh, we insert a, a camera so we can actually see what we're doing inside.
1: Yeah. And so is how many little holes, I'll call them holes, that's not yeah. the right word, but how many little incisions or are- ways? do you have to do you make one for the camera and then yeah. how many for you and your instruments yeah
0: so definitely one always one for the camera uh depends on the uh it depends on the complexity of the procedure say like a, a routine gallbladder uh, many times you can do it with just you know three four small little incisions but some of the uh, minimally invasive sort of complex procedures with like liver, bile, duct and pancreas, it can be, you know, sort of six or, or seven uh, little uh, incisions t- depending on, you know, uh, what's what's needed to be done.
1: It sounds like that requires more skill from the surgeon to be that dexterous to do it in the smaller space. Is that yeah. something you and others, uh, a skill you just have to learn?
0: Yeah. So it's it's I I, I th- it's. I'm not sure it would be more dexterous, but it definitely requires uh, more training. uh, Because I think that the gold standard, of course, is to be able to uh, do these operations with a traditional open approach. But now you have uh, laparoscopic as well as robotic, they require different skill sets. Uh, So in terms of, um, uh, say, general surgery training or or any uh, surgical training that involves million-invasive, you have to get the basics of, you know, sort of the open approach. But then uh, uh, over, usually, you know, they do a fellowship uh, or extra training where they're exposed to you know, more minimally invasive you know, procedures and, and they learn the skill sets.
1: I think you're being modest and you, and you just have a <laughs> lot of skills. So yeah. we're yeah. going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Alan, will fill us in some more on some advances in the liver, bile, duct, and pancreatic cancer surgical advances. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James'. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Alan Sung, a specialist in liver, bile duct, and pancreatic cancers. And Alan, fill me in, fill us in on the Regional Therapies Program of the James. What is it? Yeah. Thanks,
0: Steve. Uh, The Regional Therapies Program is a a unique program where we can offer uh, many patients that um, where we can 't treat surgically uh, some hope in terms of you know slowing down or even uh, killing uh, more of the cancer cells. One of the things that uh, people recognize is, you know, you have cancer that's localized. Unfortunately, many times the cancer spreads or metastasizes, say to the liver or to the uh, abdominal cavity. And in those cases, traditionally, um, the only treatment is, 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 is chemotherapy uh, because once it, you know, leaves the primary organ and, and if it spread diffusely, there's just no way to surgically remove all the tumor. Uh, however, chemotherapy... Uh, you know it works initially, but unfortunately, chemo—the systemic chemotherapy that uh, the medical oncologist gives—it goes all over the body, uh, and that's one of the reasons why you know people have you know sort of side effects, toxicity from uh, from the chemotherapy they're getting. But also, you know, it, once it goes through the whole body, uh, it doesn't it's only a little bit actually you know gets to the area where the tumor is. So, for example, you know, if you have uh, uh, tumors that spread to the liver. Um, and, uh, uh, and we were not able to surgically remove it, you know, chemotherapy will, 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 will slow down the growth. Uh, but, you know, we have a program called the hepatic artery infusion program, um, which is, uh, which is a, a type of regional therapies where we can directly give chemotherapy into the liver and give a sort of like a high dose only in the liver with minimal uh, side
1: effects. So you mean in the midst of surgery, when you've made an incision, and the liver is visible to you. You inject chemotherapy directly into the liver.
0: Yeah. So actually, um, there's a surgery to 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 put this uh, uh, what we call a hepatic artery infusion pump. So essentially, wow. it's like a, um, it's the size of a hockey puck, uh, and then there's a reservoir inside. So you can fill this, uh, this, uh, this pump, uh, for uh, two weeks worth of chemotherapy. And we put it, uh, uh, right <clears throat> underneath the skin in the abdomen. And with surgery, we're able to put a catheter that connects the pump into the main blood supply to the, to the liver. So that's why they call it the hepatic artery infusion pump. So after surgery, we can start the chemotherapy, fill the pump. Uh, with chemotherapy, the pump uh, delivers the continuously gives chemotherapy uh, for two weeks into the liver, uh, and a high dose. And also, since it stays in the liver, you don't have the patients don't have any side effects. When you talk to patients, they say, Oh, my gosh, I can't believe, you know, I've gotten two weeks of continuous chemotherapy, I don't feel anything compared to anybody that's had, you know, chemotherapy all over the body. You know, there it's uh, there's a lot of side effects.
1: Now, after the two weeks and it's delivered all its chemotherapy, then what do you do with the, the puck?
0: Yeah, so um, it's actually a continuous uh, uh, sort of a, a multiple cycles. So we have two weeks of uh, chemotherapy, but then we give two weeks of uh, uh, just rest where we just give, you know, what we call heparinized saline uh, because you never want the pump to go dry. Uh, so it continues to just put, you know, heparinized saline uh, 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 through the catheter into the liver. And then another two weeks, we start the chemo again.
1: Oh, so uh, now I understand. It's like the port you see on people's chest. You're able to inject uh, things into it. So so after the two weeks when you you said that saline solution, you're able to inject that saline solution directly into that. And then later you can... Put the chemotherapy back in.
0: Yeah. So exactly. So people that understand that have that are undergoing ke- uh, chemotherapy or uh, have done it before, you know, most people have what's called a, a, a port, or where the chemo goes in. But you think about the the port uh, goes into the main uh, blood vessel uh, right yeah. before the heart. And it goes all over the body. So if you, if you, if you want to target a uh, sort of like tumors in, the, say, the liver, well, it has to go over all throughout the whole body before it gets to the liver. And that's But it causes a lot of side effects when it goes all over the body. So like, you know, GI upsets, you know, sometimes, you know, you have your neuropathy, uh, abdominal pain, it's fatigue. Whereas, you know, the regional therapies program with a hepatic artery infusion pump, you're only treating the liver. Uh, It's, you know, you're giving a high dose, you know, uh, to the liver. And, you know, since it doesn't go outside, there's minimal side effects.
1: Now, is this the first organ where you're able to do this kind of direct pump or are there other organs uh, I think like I don't know why I'm thinking lungs or the kidneys yeah is, is there are other places or are you at the cutting edge of what could become something that's more common down the road yeah they they've
0: tried it for uh different um uh different types of organs, but since uh, the liver is pro- uh, probably the most common area where tumors of any kind say breast you know uh any of the uh colon intestinal um stomach th- those uh those Uh, Most cancers, you know, when they spread, it usually often goes to the liver. So that's, I think that's one of the reasons why uh, the regional therapies to the liver is something that uh, people have focused on. It's just, it's the most common organ that's affected by cancer.
1: And is it also easy to get to and then put the pump in?
0: Um, I wouldn't say it's easy to get to. It's something that, you know, of course requires, you know, extra training. And, and now we're a lot of times, you know, we're able to do, uh, pl- place the, uh, the catheter uh, minimally invasively as well. So instead of like, you know, uh, two, three days in the hospital, many patients sometimes can go home, the, you know, the next day. And they can start the chemotherapy right away.
1: Give me a sense of, of how long you've been doing this and the, the number of patients,
0: yeah. So, you know, I, I got to uh, the James Ohio State uh, two years ago. Uh, pr- uh, prior to that, I was at uh, University of Pittsburgh uh, Medical Center for 20 years. Uh, and that was, uh, there are a few centers, uh, but now that's growing uh, in terms of uh, uh, of uh, centers that can place these pumps. Uh, I think, you know, uh, University of Pittsburgh, uh, uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering are probably the two uh, sort of the largest volume pumps. But now at the James, you know, starting our program up, you know, just two years ago, uh, we're actually one of the higher uh, volume uh, um, uh, regional therapies uh, program to the liver at this point.
1: How is it impacting the, the outcomes for your patients? Yeah. The main goal
0: for us is, um, is to offer treatment uh, when there usually isn't any. Um, when we can't do surgery to remove the tumors to the liver, what happens is these patients just continue to get chemotherapy. Well, the chemotherapy usually stops working, so they start another regimen. And then another regimen. But then after a while, you know, there's this really, you know, not as effective anymore. Uh, So what we've done, you know, through studies, you know, of of large volume of patients, we've been able to show that uh, not only can we extend the survival of patients with, you know, pretty much metastatic disease to the liver, uh, but also sometimes we can get such a good effect that we downstage it so that surgery can happen. As a result, give them a better chance of a cure.
1: Now... I'm guessing that the reason you sometimes can't perform, remove the tumors from the liver, it's so invasive that it would basically be removing the entire liver. Yes, And that's why if you can shrink it, then you can remove it. Exactly. Yeah. So from our standpoint, you know,
0: the first uh, goal is to see, can we remove the tumor from the liver? Uh, We have multiple different options from minimally invasive to even open, like cutting it out and even putting probes in to burn it out. But there's just uh, many patients unfortunately come where they have sort of diffuse disease or, you know, many tumors in in locations where it's just difficult to or unsafe to remove. In those cases, you know, instead of just saying, well, you know, we can't do anything, just get chemotherapy, uh, we can offer chemotherapy and the regional therapies program where we can, you know, actually instill the chemotherapy uh in directly into the liver.
1: Wow. So I I that that was a great overview and 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 it's amazing that the advances you're making and it makes me think that we're going to end by going back to the beginning and and your father who had liver cancer and your uh goal in life, your mission to help people with liver cancer to come up with new methods and new ways and you've done that. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you, Steve. I think one of the things that, you know, has driven me is, you know, I want to be a surgeon that, you know, that takes care of, you know, uh, of cancer patients, but, um, Part of my, you know, my career is I'm also a scientist, and that's one of the reasons, you know, coming to the the James, you know, Comprehensive Cancer Center, it allows me uh, and uh, my colleagues to do research as well, because, you know, you know, I'm never satisfied with the status quo, you know, I'm always looking to, you know, uh, you know, moving the needle, how can we advance? Uh, Because, you know, it has to be, as you know, cancer, until we get the day we get a cure, there's still a lot more to learn. Uh, There's still a lot more to uh, to improve in the way not only we do surgery, but also understanding the disease, the cancer and and finding, you know, new treatment options.
1: Well, that's the kind of attitude we like. Never be satisfied. (laughs) Always push the needle forward. So thank you for sharing all this great information and advances. And down the road, we'll we'll check back in with you. Thank you, Steve. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solove Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.